For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. If, uh, if we don't know each other, my name is Adam, one of our pastors here, and uh, so glad you're with us this morning. Glad that you made this a priority in your week, and uh, just curious, based off that video we just watched, is there anyone else in the room that wants to admit you still like playing with Legos? Anybody? Just want to know where my friends are? Okay, there we are. The rest of you are liars or ashamed. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, it's church. I'll forgive you. Uh, but we're just glad you're here, and... We're looking at the book of Ephesians over several weeks, kind of taking this deep dive of this book. It was really a letter originally written to the church in Ephesus, which was a city, uh, uh, that's thus the name, the Ephesians. And in this book, we'll find that there is these foundations for a life of following Jesus. These foundational truths of what it means to be a Christian. Paul gives, the guy that wrote the book, he gives these to the church in Ephesus. And these aren't like back to basics. These aren't things that we just move on from, we've said, right? It's not like one plus one equals two, got it, moving on. These are, these are building blocks. They're foundational pieces that for all of us, if you're a follower of Jesus, for the rest of your life, as you follow him, these are the things that your faith builds on. And, and I wanna just recognize right out the gate, right at the beginning, that for some of us, uh, Ephesians is gonna be difficult. Even Ephesians 2 specifically, which we're looking at today, for some of you, Ephesians 2 will be hard. See, it'll be, it'll be hard because most of us in the room or in the East or online, most of us are 21st century Americans. At least we live in 21st century America. And we don't want nobody telling us how to live our life, what we're supposed to think, what we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to act. We don't want no one telling us, right? I am a strong, independent woman. Not me, you might say that, right? Like I, I am a boss babe. Again, not me, you might say that, right? Like I would say things like I am a grown Man, okay, you don't, you don't tell me how to think or how to act or who I am or what I'm supposed to do with my life. We don't like people giving us opinions that we didn't ask for, okay? We don't like people telling us things about ourselves that we didn't really ask them to tell us, right? It's like, I'll do me, you do you, bro. That's how we think. Uh, a few years ago, uh, the church my wife Annie and I were a part of before moving to Decatur, uh, we'd have the opportunity about once a month or so to uh, lead this Sunday afternoon church service for one of the area nursing homes. And I was often the one on staff that would go and lead those and I'd bring like a musician with me and they'd play piano and sing some hymns and then I would do like a 10, 15 minute like devotional kind of message for all the residents of the nursing home. They loved it, it was always packed. One of the things they looked forward to every week. This particular week, the, person, the musician that came with me, uh, for whatever reason, they couldn't sing that week, they could only play a piano. So they looked to me and said, so you got it. To which I responded, I've been waiting for this moment my whole life, okay? So I, I broke out their little hymn books and I was like, all right, everybody, we're gonna turn to him like 242, we're gonna sing Amazing Grace. And I just wanna be truthful with you this morning, I killed it. Like I absolutely crushed it. Like I was just, it was like Southern Gospel Choir. I was, I mean, it was Amazing Grace and there was how sweet a sound coming out of my mouth. Like I was just, I was letting it go. Okay, it was great. I wouldn't lie. Not the point. The point is, uh, <laughs> so we get done and we're talking to all the people, all the residents and walking around, getting to know them, praying with some of them that would like to do that. And a sweet lady comes up to me and she says, young man, you did just a great job. Like, thank you so much for sharing the things you said. I, the message you gave, I just needed that so much. Thank you for that. And, and you know what? If you work really hard at it, you might be a good singer one day too. To which I responded, I sounded a lot better than you, lady. No, I didn't say that. I wouldn't do that. Come on, I wouldn't say that. 
Uh, no, I knew she was being sweet. She was being complimentary. It was a little bit of a backhanded compliment, but she was being nice, and I knew that, uh, what she was saying, right? But that's a funny way to express, like, we don't like it when people tell us things about ourselves or give us opinions that they have or give us input that we didn't ask for. Like, don't tell me who I am or how I'm supposed to live. Maybe on more of a serious note, right? Maybe you have those people in your life or friends or family, whoever, that they keep telling you, they're like, hey, you know what? You should get a job, right? Or hey, you should, uh, you know, go back to college. Or hey, you should get a wife. Or hey, uh, how about, you know, maybe you have a parent that was telling you like, hey, you know what? When you get older, I I think you should be a doctor. And you're like, mom, you've said that so much. I'm gonna be anything but a doctor when I get older, okay? We just don't want people telling us who we are, how we're supposed to think, how we're supposed to live our life. If you've thought those things or felt those things, Ephesians can be hard for us. Because in the first part of Ephesians, Paul, the author, is about to tell these Christians who they were, who they are, and he's gonna be so bold as to tell us how we're supposed to live our life. See, in these, just even in the first 10 verses of Ephesians, Paul's about to give this fire hydrant of these foundations of faith. And so many people often say that Ephesians 2 is like this jam-packed fire hose of information and what it looks like to follow Jesus. Paul's gonna tell us what we were like without God and what God's done for us and now how that's supposed to shape everything about our life. So if you haven't yet, you can turn to Ephesians chapter two. That's where we're gonna be in just a minute. And as you're turning there though, I don't want you to miss this because I think this part's important. Um, I think often when we read the Bible or when we hear Bible stories, we get like a picture in our head and it's fair that we get this picture Right, we get this picture of like, we hear a story from the Bible and we're like, okay, I'm picturing like a small town in the desert with like sheep and shepherds and fishermen and stuff. And that's great, because there's lots of times in the Bible that that is the scenario, right? Jesus' hometown was that. A lot of his ministry happened in those kind of places. Uh, we also think of Jewish people often when we think of the Bible and Bible stories. We think of you know, God's people from the Old Testament, we think about their Jewish religion and all their laws and some of the stuff we don't fully understand. Again, makes sense. Jesus' early followers were Jews. Jesus himself was a Jew. A lot of stuff happens with Jewish people in the Bible. But these things aren't true about the book of Ephesians. These things are not true about Ephesus. See, Ephesus was this huge, massive city. It was the second largest city in the Roman Empire. It was one of the most important cities of its day. It was this port city. You can see it on the map here. Uh, It was this port city, right? Because you got to remember, 2,000 years ago, they didn't have DoorDash and Amazon Prime, right? So the way you got stuff places was through these port cities. It was this trade center, this epicenter. It was huge. It was massive. There was so much stuff happening. There's cultures colliding, worldviews colliding. They had so many different kinds of religions and temples and places to worship and poets and all this kind of stuff collided in Ephesus, This next picture here is of the temple of Artemis, who, uh, it was this temple in Ephesus, the ruins are still there, but this is a rendering of like what it originally would have looked like. It was the largest temple built in the Roman Empire. It was huge, it was one of the local forms of the Greek god. These were the kind of things that people would come into Ephesus and see this stuff. These were not illiterate fishermen, these were not dirty shepherds sleeping out in the field. These were intelligent, affluent people that were inundated with culture and wisdom literature. Still to this day, you can see the next one, still to this day, uh, it's one of the most popular uh, tourist spots in that part of the world. People can go and see the ruins of this city of Ephesus, that big pillars there, those are like one of the big libraries that was in Ephesus. 
It was a huge, beautiful, cultured city. And it's important because Paul is writing a letter to people that lived in Ephesus, and they were not Jewish people, they were Gentiles, which basically just means they were non-Jews. They were people like you and I. They were not a part of the family of God. They were not, they did not have a relationship with God until they heard about Jesus or met Jesus, and now they're Christians. And it's important because Paul's about to tell them that like their faith, the foundations, they're cracked. The foundation that their faith is on, it's not very solid. They've been too influenced by the culture around them. If I could say it like this, right? They call themselves Christians and they attend church on the weekends, but their life doesn't quite match up with what they say they believe, to which I think we can relate. And it's to those kind of people in that city, in that time, that Paul writes this in Ephesians chapter two, verse one, and he says this. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So Paul opens it up with this encouraging comment to them that they were dead. This is interesting. In the Bible, the word dead means dead. It means they were dead. Not like kind of dead, not like dying, not like sick. It means dead. And of course, he's not saying they were physically dead. He's saying they were spiritually dead. It'd be weird to write letters to physically dead people. He's saying you were spiritually dead. And just like when someone is physically dead, they can't respond to things that are around them. They, don't, they can't think things or see things or feel things anymore. And he's saying when you were spiritually dead, you didn't understand the spiritual stuff happening around you. You didn't understand truths about the world or about God. You might have heard them, but you, it didn't really make sense to you because you were spiritually dead. And you were spiritually dead, he says, because of your sins, and your transgressions. Those are two very churchy Christian words that we often think mean the same thing. And they kind of do, but they kind of don't. The word sins, we've probably heard that one before. The word sin has this idea of missing the mark. It's a term that would have been used for like archery or shooting sports kind of things. It's like you're aiming at a target and you missed it. You missed left, you missed right, you fell short. You missed the mark you were aiming for, you sinned. Paul says something somewhere else in the Bible and he says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You missed the mark. Transgressions is a little bit different. Transgressions is more like trespasses or, or going the wrong way. You're, you're in unauthorized access area. You're, you're walking the wrong direction. And he says you've been, and that's why I love in, in verse two, if you look at verse two there, uh, there's a phrase, if you're someone that likes to underline or circle things in your Bible, uh, there's a phrase there that says you used to live. That phrase there, used to live. The word, uh, it really means like to walk. It's this idea of you used to walk that way. Paul's giving this imagery of like, you're not innocent in it. You were, you were walking in your deadness. You, you were dead men and women walking. And he says, right, it's like the current of the world. The ways of this world were just taking you. You went wherever the stream of the world said to go. You were just kind of walking in it. And he goes on in verse three, and he says, and all of us, every one of us, Jews, Christians, you Gentile Christians, Myself, all of us used to live among them at one time. We used to be dead like you, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. He says all of us, every single one of us was in the same state. None of us can say we weren't. All of us were there before God and apart from God. Just doing what our body said to do and what the culture said to do. If someone said it tasted good, smelled good, felt good, we wanted to taste, smell, and feel it. We just wanted to do it. We were just walking 
that way. And he says, because of that, because of us going that direction, he says we were deserving of wrath. And not just wrath, but wrath of God. He's making it clear here, you can't blame someone else for your situation. He's like, some of y'all want to blame original sin, like Adam and Eve. Some of y'all want to blame your parents or generational sin. He's like, you want to blame that? Or some of us, maybe he's even talking to you, right? He'd be like, and some of you, you know, you're sitting out in your seats and you're like, you know, Adam, like, I know that I'm a sinner. The Bible says I'm a sinner, but, you know, I'm not as bad as a... Like, Adam, I'm listening to what you're saying right now. This, you know, I'm listening to your sermon and stuff, but who I really hope is listening is... Don't look at him, it's weird, right? But you're... We're so tempted to compare, and Paul's like, no, 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 no. All of us, all y'all, dead. He goes on, and he says, uh, he goes on, he says, probably the most powerful conjunction ever spoken. He says, but God. He says, all y'all, you were dead, you were hopeless, you were helpless, but God. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. He says, God loves you so much. He knows you, he created you, he loves you, he's deeply in love with you, and he is rich. His pockets are deep, his wall is full of forgiveness and mercy for you. And because of that, he made you alive when you were dead in Christ. And one of Paul's favorite things to say, and he says, and it is by grace, it is the free gift from God that you have been saved. Because of his love for you, because he knows you and cares about you and wants you to experience everything he has for you, he gave you this gift of making you now alive. You're not walking dead anymore. You are alive in Jesus. And he goes on and he adds to that. And he says, God has raised us up, verse six. God has raised us up with Jesus and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in kindness to us in Christ Jesus. He says, God has saved you and he has raised you up to be with him so that both now and forever you will be in his presence, that you get to know more of him and he gets to know more of you and he's with you forever. And I love this idea of in the ages to come. It's this idea that forever, for all the ages that are to come, God's gonna continue to show his love to you. He's gonna continue to pour out his grace and forgiveness and mercy on you. It's this picture of God's love for you is so deep, it's so vast, that it's gonna take forever for you to fully comprehend how much he loves you. He continues, he says, that same things he loves to say, for it is by grace you have been saved. But he adds to it this time, he says, by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works that no one can boast. He says, you have been saved by grace, this free gift. You've been saved through it, through faith. He says, but this is not something you did. He wants to make that super clear before he goes any further. You didn't do this. You can't undead yourself. He says, this was a gift. You didn't make yourself better. None of y'all fixed your situation that you were in. He said, he did it for you. He gave it to you, so you can't be proud of it. No, no works you've done, nothing good you did. Fix this situation. You can't boast about it. All of us were in the same place, the same deadness. He made us alive because he loves us by grace through faith. 
we've been saved. Then he brings it to verse 10, which is the verse that I read when we started. He kind of wraps it up, sums it up with this. He says, so for you, Christians, people, followers of Jesus, you are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for you to do. He says you're his handiwork. Your translation might say masterpiece. It's the word poema. It's where we get our word poem from. It's this imagery of God has made you a beautiful work of art. You were purposefully and wonderfully made. He created you just the way he wants you. He created you with a purpose. He created with you intention. He created you with detail. And he created you to do good works. Works that he prepared for you to do. We, we can't get this confused, right? We can't get this mixed up. He prefaced it already, remember? He's like, these are not good works that got you saved. These are also not good works that are you're doing because you have to since you're now saved. He's like, no, no, no. You're not trying to be a gooder person. You're just trying to be a good recipient of a good gift. And God has created you for it. He's created you to walk in that and to do those things. He's created you to figure this out and to go in this direction. And it's not as much about the specific task, even though for some of you, God has prepared you for specific tasks before you, but it's more about the direction that you're now going. And I say that because, remember in verse two, I had you underline or circle that word, that phrase there, used to live. It's this word here on the screen, and you know, I'm a, I'm a learned uh, seminarian man, so of course I can say that word since I learned Greek, but I don't want to sound too smart in front of all of you, so I'm just going to, what it means is, is to walk uh, or to live. I have no idea how to say it, not even close. Um, but uh, the word there means to walk, right? We said that. The way you used to walk or the way you used to live. And what I love is I think Paul did this on purpose. He, he almost gives this like Christian gospel sandwich in a way, right? In verse two, remember that verse two, it's there again. He says, you were dead in your transgressions and you, this is the way you used to live. You used to walk this way. But then in verse 10, he uses that exact same word. It's not highlighted because I forgot to tell him to, but it's that last phrase there, for us to do. That phrase there, he prepared in advance for us to do. It's that same word, to walk, to live in. It's like Paul is saying, verse one and two, you were dead, verse 10, now you're alive in Christ. Verse one and two, he says, you used to walk this way that only leads to death and destruction. Now verse 10, because of what Jesus has done for you and the gift that you've been given, if you receive it, you now are supposed to walk in life, in life to the fullest. He says, you were once like this, now you're like this. It might remind you of, uh, a few weeks ago we were in the series Meet Jesus. You might remember that, we were looking at a TV show, a series called The Chosen. And uh, in one of, the, one of the clips we watched one week was looking at Mary Magdalene and how uh, she herself was, she was dead, right? She was walking one way in destruction and in pain and in death. And then something happened to her and she started walking in life. And she's asked about this. She asked what happened because it was noticeable that something in her life changed. And her response was, maybe you remember, her, Mary Magdalene's response was, I once was one way, but now I'm different. And what happened in the middle was Jesus. She says, I once was like this, but now I'm this way. And it's this imagery Paul's giving us, right, of like, there is two different ways of this world, he says. He says, for all of us, every single one of us, maybe some of us still, if you've not put your faith in Jesus, he says, for all of us, we were walking one way. The ways of this world. And he says, and this way just leads to death and destruction and more death. 
and we just are walking this way. And then something happens in our life, and now we can walk this way. This way that leads to life and life to the fullest and hope and peace and joy and purpose. And he says, and what happens in the middle is what Jesus has done for us. And I already hear what some of you are saying. I can hear you right now. You're like, Adam, you don't know my life. You don't know my situation. I've been trying to do that thing, man. Like, I've been trying to figure this whole thing out. See, some of you are over here still, you feel like. You're like, you know, I, I recognize the reason I'm here, the reason I'm listening right now is that I think I do believe in a God, and I do believe that there's a different way to live, and I'm trying to figure that out, but I have no idea what this way looks like. Like, I don't even know how to go from here to there. Am I just supposed to, like, sprint that direction? Like, what am I, I don't know how to do that thing. And some of us feel like we've been walking this way, maybe for a short period of time, or maybe for a long time. We've been walking this way, and we're trying to figure it out, but we just, for honest, we kind of keep, like, looking back over our shoulder that way. Like that way felt more familiar or more comfortable. We don't really know what this looks like. It is not the Christian life or the way of Jesus. It doesn't seem to be panning out the way we thought it would. There's, there's bad things that have still happened. Things that we thought would get fixed haven't been fixed. And we're not really sure how to figure this whole thing out. And we, we start to feel like the Israelites. You might remember them if you've been around church. They were who became the Jewish people in the Old Testament. And the Israelites, they had this time in their life when they were slaves in Egypt. They were slaves, they were captives in Egypt. And they were crying out to God to, to help show them a way and to, to make a difference, to change their situation. So he does. And he provides a way for them out of that slavery and they, he parts waters of the river for them and they walk across and they start heading towards this new life, this promised land that was there for them. Everything that they wanted and God was promising them was ahead of them and they were walking that way. But then they're out there and they're walking in the desert and they're like... Food was better in Egypt. I had a bed in Egypt. Egypt was more comfortable. There's Wi-Fi in Egypt. I don't think that's true, but there's Wi-Fi in Egypt. I, I know what God's done. I can't deny what God's done for me. Like, it's very clear. Like, I saw, some, I saw some miracles I can't explain. I saw some waters being parted, right? I saw, like, a cloud, and I saw, the, I can't deny what I've seen him do, but, like, that felt more comfortable. I'd rather go back there and be a slave than die out here not sure of what's ahead of me. And, and wherever you find yourself here, wherever you find yourself trying to figure out this following Jesus, this way of Jesus, this life thing, we can't forget one of the most important parts that Paul says in this little compact summary, these foundations of faith, and I skipped over this part on purpose so I could say it now. He says, what happens in the middle is Jesus. He says, you are saved by grace through faith. This word faith, it's a word that we're somewhat familiar with and we use it and we maybe don't even think too much about it. And typically when we say faith, we think of like a, something that happens up here. We're like, I believe in stuff. I believe in God. Like, I believe there's a God, I have faith that he's real, I have a faith in Jesus, I believe that God's out there and that he sent his son Jesus for me, I believe it, that's why I'm here, I'll sing about it and I'll talk about it, I believe in it. That's kind of, what, that is what faith is at times, but, but it's more than that, this word faith here, it's more than that, it, it's, a, it's a faith that we can actually do something about, it's a faith that we, that has action to it. it, it's an active faith. Really, the word faith means to put your weight into it. And it's like this chair. We've used this chair, or we've used like a stool analogy before. Brian hinted at it last week. We've talked about it in the past. 
It's, it's like saying that I believe there's a chair here. I have faith in the chair. Like, I, I know it's here. I know it has legs. It looks comfortable. I'm, I believe it'll hold my weight. But what faith is, it's not just believing that, but faith is actually sitting in it. It's putting your weight in it. That's faith. This part is the faith. See, see if we just are, you know, going about life and we're tired and we're exhausted and we're worn out, our legs hurt, we've been going at it, we feel like there's so much coming at us and we're worn down, and someone comes up and like, hey, you know there's a chair right there, right? And you're like, yeah, I believe there's a chair there, I have faith in this chair, They're like, then why don't you sit down? And you're like, I feel like I'm good on my own. Like, I believe there's a chair there, but my, I feel comfortable on my feet. I'm more agile this way. I think I can figure it out myself. And the foundation of our faith the foundation of following Jesus, of being a Christian, is that we are saved by grace through our faith. It's not just believing God and what he's done for us, but it's actually sitting in what God has done for us. It's trusting him. It's trusting that he knows what's best for us. It's trusting and believing and sitting in that he cares for us. See, if you're, if you're over here, right, and you're, you're like, I don't even know what this means. I don't even know how to get over there. Like, I don't even know... Do I just turn and like end up that way? It's like, thankfully, no. Jesus himself tells us that, doesn't he? What does Jesus say? He says, if you were lost, if you were not following me, he doesn't tell you to get yourself figured out and get all the way over there. He just says to repent and be baptized. That word repent, it literally just means to turn around. That's what the word means. It means to go the other way. Jesus isn't asking you to get yourself figured out. He's just saying, would you just recognize that where you're heading is destruction, where you're heading is to death and not what you want in life. It might feel good, it might be comfortable, it might be familiar, but I promise you there's more that way. I'm not asking you to go that way, I'm just asking you to have faith. I'm asking you to just sit for a minute in me and I'll figure it out for you. He promises, God promises that if you ask how to follow him and how to go that way, he will tell you, he will help you do it. He says, don't you try to do it on your own. And if you find yourself over here and you're going this way and you're like, I've been doing this, Adam, but you're right, man. If I'm honest, I've been looking back that way. My, my line looks more like a zigzag than a straight path. And I'm just, I'm, I'm a little disillusioned and I got questions and this isn't all I thought it to be. And I'm a little worn down. Life's knocked me off my feet. I've, I've lost loved ones. Things aren't working out the way I thought they would work out. He's not telling you to keep running that direction, to keep figuring it out all yourself. It's not like you went over there. Now, now you're on your own, bro. He says, no, no, no. Have faith in me. Trust me. Ask me. Come to me. Let me help you out. Don't try to solve those things on your own. I was, uh, was going to end uh, the message a little differently, uh, but the last couple of days just had something happen. I just kind of felt like I had to, had to share it. On, a, on Friday, we were hanging out at some friend's house and uh, our kids were playing together. We have kids similar ages and uh, they were right, uh, Ginny was riding these friend's kids' uh, balance bike. I don't know if you know what that is, but uh, the balance bike is kind of like the bike before training wheels. You know, it has like no pedals on it or anything. They like use their feet and it helps them learn how to balance so they can eventually learn how to ride a bike. And we've been over there before and Ginny loves riding this thing and she was like just cruising on it. It's crazy how much she's grown so fast. She's like two now and it's crazy. Uh, 
And she's like loving this thing. And for a while now, I've wanted to get her one, but it's like, oh, she's not yet old enough yet. But she was just loving this thing on Friday. So I was thinking about it. And, you know, we thought about getting one before, but we hadn't. So I went home and I was just thinking about it. I was like looking them up. And these things are like 60, 70 bucks, something like that. Not a huge deal. But for us, it was just one of those things where season of life, situation of life, budget, whatever. We're just like, it's not something we wanted to spend money on right now. And I had one of those moments. If I'm honest, I've had them before. I've had them more often than I like to admit where I felt a lot like the Israelites. Like I feel like I've been going this way. I feel like I've, I've put my faith in Jesus. I've crossed this line of faith. I'm going this way. God's done so much for me, I can't deny that. But I just, I want more. Like you, you couldn't say anything right now to me that would make me not believe in God anymore. Like I've experienced too much, I've seen too much, I've, he's done too much for me. I believe logically and philosophically and scientifically there's too much proof and evidence for a creator God. You couldn't convince me otherwise, but if I'm honest, in moments like Friday, I'm like, but God, I just, I feel like, I feel like if I just kinda did things my own way at times, there'd be more of what I want. Like God, there's a certain lifestyle that I wanna live and there's, I like luxurious things and nice stuff and, I wanna give my kids all the things in the world and I want to, I like being selfish and, and I like certain things and I'm just like, I, got, got a, I believe in you for sure, but I just kinda of wanna go my own way at times. I wanna figure it out myself at times. And then uh, yesterday morning, uh, I woke up early like I normally do on Saturdays when I preach because we have Saturday night service. So I woke up early yesterday and I left the house and I usually go around for several hours and like drive around and go to some parks and pray and just try to clear my head and make sure I'm saying what God wants me to say, not what I just think is funny to say. And uh, I'm doing this and I'm just trying to get my head right. And I drove past, you know, because it's nice. It's a nice time of year now. So I saw a bunch of like garage sale signs. But, and just so you know, in case you didn't know this, I'm a sucker for a good garage sale. It's just a problem I have. I don't know. I like American pickers and all that kind of stuff. And uh, even like last month, Annie and I went on this nice date to Bloomington. I was like, yo, there's, you know, stop some garage sales on the way. Uh, so it's good. It's fun. I don't know why I like doing it. Okay. It doesn't matter. I like doing it. And, uh, but yesterday I was like, I don't got time for that. I got, I got to get my head right and make sure, you know, get ready for this message. And, but finally, I found myself in this neighborhood, and to be totally honest with you, I have no idea where I was. I don't know where, I couldn't find this house again if I tried. I have a one-track mind, and I was thinking about my message, and I have no idea where I was driving. No navigation was happening, I was just making sure I stopped at stop signs. And I end up at this house, though, and there's a bunch of stuff in their driveway, and they had a garage sale, and there's this kid out in the driveway, and I'm like, you know what, I've been going out a few hours, I'll just stop and get out and like look around for a second, clear my head. And I wouldn't make this up, I can't make this up. I get out of my car, I step in their driveway, and the very first thing I see is a balance bike. And I knew you wouldn't believe me, so I brought it with me. Um, <clears throat> I know you people, you're like, he lies all the time. Are any of his stories true? Yes. <clears throat> and uh, I saw it, was, I'm not making, it was the first thing I saw. And, I, and, I, and I'm trying to explain to you what I, what I thought in the moment. Like at first I'm like, maybe I'm just looking at it wrong. Maybe there is some like pedals on or something, I can't see them from here and I walk up to it so I grab it and I go up to the woman and she's like, yeah, my kid rode it once. He has older brothers though. He preferred their bikes. We put it back in the box. It's been in the basement and we're just trying to clear stuff out. I paid like five bucks for this thing at this garage sale. That's all she wanted. And uh, I, get, I get back to my car and I put it in the trunk and, and uh, I don't,
the only thing I could feel in that moment and think in that moment was just thank you, God. Like, it's not, it's not about the dumb bike. Like, I could have, if it was that big of a deal, I would have bought one, right? It's, it was that he cares. <clears throat> that he cares for me. He knows me. He loves me. And it's just one of those reminders that day that he, he just cares. And... And again, it's not about a dumb bike. And I know that so many of you are facing things that are so much bigger deal than like a toddler toy. And we have so much stuff already. We don't need more things, right? It's not about that. And what I'm not saying, what I'm definitely not saying right now is that uh, if you go home tonight and wish upon the stars, show up at a garage sale tomorrow and you'll get like a duffel bag of money or a check in the mail, right? We're not not that church. This is not that sermon. I'm not saying that if you have 20 of those at your house or other nice things, you should feel bad about it. I don't think those things and that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that there is a God of the universe that loves you immensely. He's crazy about you. It's weird how much he loves you. And he wants more of you. He doesn't want you to do more for him. He just wants more of you. He cares about you so much. And he wants you to know this morning, whether you're following him or you haven't made that decision yet, that he can give you everything that the world has to offer, but he can also give you so much more. That in him there is a hope and a freedom and a joy and a life forever that can be found nowhere else. And some of you, I know you're saying it, I know you're thinking it, you're like, Adam, you don't know what I've done though, man. You don't know my story. Who I am on Sunday morning, who I am sitting on my couch right now is not the same person I am the rest of the week. You don't know what I've done to my family. You don't know the decisions I've made. I've wrecked my family. I'm on my third marriage and that one's not working. My kids won't talk to me. I can't even have kids, but I want them. I can't hold a job. I'm hurting, I'm lost, I'm broken. You don't know what I've been through, bro. And you're right, I don't. I don't know that. And I'm so aware how hopeless and helpless that feels. But God, but God is wealthy in love and forgiveness and mercy for you. He's crazy about you. And wherever you are, he doesn't ask you to get yourself figured out. He doesn't ask you to fix things. He just asks you, will you receive the gift and put your faith in me? Will you trust me? Will you trust that I care? Will you trust that I know? Will you lay your desires and your passions and your hopes and your dreams at my feet and trust that I know what's best for you and that I will give you what I think you need? He cares for you, he loves you. So if you're on this side today, if you haven't made that decision to cross that line of faith yet, like you, you maybe believe in a God and you think you do, but you haven't really turned things around yet, maybe your foundation for that's a little cracked. He's not asking you to jump all the way over and get yourself figured out, he's just asking you today, would you turn and put your faith in him and he will help you figure the rest out. And if you find yourself over here and you're trying to figure it out and you're trying to do it on your own strength, would you just stop? You didn't get yourself here. You didn't save yourself to begin with. So trust the one who died for you. Come back to that first love. Come back to that faith that it all started with. That is the foundation. Whatever situation you're facing, whatever problem you're facing, whatever thing you're trying to figure out, whatever solution you're looking for, he will help you find it. It's who he is, it's what he does. He loves you, he's crazy about you. I wanna, I'm gonna end with this. 
It's, uh, I'm gonna read the same passage we just went through, but I'm gonna read it in the message translation. The message is uh, basically a, a guy, it's a Christian man who took the Bible and studied it and then wrote it in like modern terms, language that would be easy for us to understand. And I think it's really powerful for us, so I would encourage you just, just to let this sink in this morning. Whether you're still trying to figure this Jesus thing out or you've been following him, just let these words sink into you today. These are the foundations of our faith. It, verse one, it says, it wasn't so long ago that you were mired and stuck in that old stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. We all did it, all of us doing what we felt like doing when we felt like doing it, all of us in the same boat. It's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with the whole lot of us. Instead, immense in mercy, with an incredible love, he embraced us. He took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. He did all this on his own with no help from us. Then he picked us up and set us down in highest heaven in company with Jesus, our Messiah. Now God has us right where he wants us. With all the time in this world and the next to shower grace and kindness upon us in Christ Jesus, saving is all his idea, all his work, all we do, trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from start to finish. We don't play the major role. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we've done the whole thing. No, we neither make nor save ourselves. God does both the making and saving. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does, the good work he has gotten ready for us to do, work we had better be doing. Friends, we are not dead anymore. If you are a follower of Jesus, take off your grave clothes. Quit walking like dead people. He has made you alive. He's prepared you and made you to do good works, not so that you can look like a good person, but that so the whole world can look at you and see the works God prepared for you to do and see him, see Christ's fingerprint on you, that they too can find this life, to find this change, to be one way and now be a different way because what Jesus has done for them and you're living it out and you're a testimony to the faithfulness of God. And if you're still there, trust him. He wants you to experience all that he has for you. Let me pray for us. God, you are good. God, you are faithful. God, I'm just, God, I'm praying for right now for people in the East and for online and here in this room that are overwhelmed with their circumstances, that don't know where to turn, would you meet them right there? Would you be a peace that surpasses understanding? Would you be an ever-present help in their situation? God, I'm praying for those right now that haven't made the decision to follow you. God, would you, would you show them how, how real you are and how much you love them? God, I'm praying for those that are trying to faithfully walk that walk. God, you, you said it wasn't easy. You said the path was narrow, but God, we need you to guide us. Would you be our light? Would you be our defeat for us? Show us the way, O oh Lord. Lord, continue to pour out your grace and your mercy. You are so good. We don't deserve it, but you love us, and you do it anyways. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.